Garrett, we've been through this. It's not... You got anything to say? Or are you just going to look for beer at the I bottom of that the, bucket? I dropped the beaver. You dropped the beaver? Isn't that your first album? Oh, oh, Dave, 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 What are you Dave, guys doing? Dave. Oh, my Lord. It finally happened. Dave talked into the beer and drank the <laughs> microphone. <laughs> ah, finally. Finally. Mm, you just had a big moment, didn't you, buddy? I'm a, I'm a prop comic. Yeah, that was unbelievable. Uh. <laughs> You're listening to The Dollop. This is a bilingual American history podcast where each week I, Dave Anthony, read a story from American history to my friend. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. Is that true? Yeah, you've been asking me that the last few shows, and you, you know yeah, that to be true. I'm becoming suspicious. Well, that would be crazy. That's, that you, for you to have that theory is insane. I just think we should be more open. We've been very open. Well, just a lot of lies. Look, you haven't been the same since you tried to talk into your beer. The laugh's going to be on you when I pick up my beer and talk into it, and it works. <laughs> February 4th, 1847. <laughs> Year of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're all going to know it from the, the first word. Ready? Adolf. I think I already know. Herman. Never mind. Joseph Kurz. Was born to lower class laborers, Joseph Kurz and Helen Hein in Prussia. Okie dokie. Germany. Yeah, sure. Sure? Whatever. Whatever? I'm down, dude. You're down? I'm just giving you a fact. It's... I'm fucking in. Relax. Okay. <laughs> uh, Don't he pressure had... me. Yep. <laughs> he had two siblings. At 13, Adolf was granted a two-year apprenticeship at a bookstore. <laughs> awesome. Wow. I mean, you're locked into a two-year deal there? You're like, Fuck. I mean, but what are you learning at a bookstore? Yeah, yeah. Like, how long does it take to learn how to put a book on a shelf? Like a couple years, two years. In 1862, both Adolf's parents died of tuberculosis within eight months. Mm-hmm. Yep, nothing abnormal there. Uh, he was 15, and he was placed in a Catholic orphanage. Yep. Uh, he got a three-year apprenticeship at a brewery in Dortmund. Okay. Could you just, could he get a job or everything was just... These are all free. It's like America. You work for free for a while. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, but this is different. He had to pay 
quote, for the privilege of learning the brewer's trade. Right. So not much of an apprenticeship, really. Yeah, he was paying to work. Yes. Okay. Like a pyramid scheme, really. Because <laughs> it was a very, working a brewer is a very sought after job. So you would pay for three years and then you'd get. Adolf couldn't, I didn't think it would get worse than America, but apparently. Adolf couldn't pay uh, the, the fee, so the incredibly generous owner let him do booking, bookkeeping work at the same time as he was doing his apprenticeship. So, so wait, he, he lucked he, out because he gets to work another job there to pay for his apprenticeship? Yes. Super cool. Yeah, very fair. So he's doing two jobs for nothing. Basically. Yeah, and that's, when, and that's when you're like, thank you so much for this opportunity to have two jobs where I make nothing. So thank you so much. Uh, when the apprenticeship ended, Adolf was given a full-time job, and soon, uh, a year later, he was working at breweries across Germany. Okay. But the Austro-German Empire headed into a time of warfare and political unrest, and exactly. Adolf did not want to serve, so he fled to the United States when he was 21. Okay. Nice. Upon landing, he changed his name from Kurs to Coors. Oh, shit. By the way, I mean, I know it was before, but if you're going to change one of those names. You would have you changed Yosef? Yep. Yeah, it's Joseph, dummy. Fair. Okay, Coors. Right, so here we go. So industrialization was underway, and Adolf knew uh, an industrial job would be, quote, bleak, dangerous, and low-paying. He saw the horrible conditions of workers, and yet still disapproved of the constant striking, organizing, and negotiating of unions. And he's, but he's nobody right now, right? Yeah. He's and he already a, is anti, so he's someone who would benefit from oh, very much so. unions, but he's maybe, already like... Maybe benefit from a situation like if there was a union, he wouldn't have to pay three years to work. Right, 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 right. But he's anti-union. Yes. Okay, sure. All right. A biography quote, quote, Adolf the Loner found unionism repugnant. A man should get ahead on his own initiative, he believed, without asking others to prop him up. But he had apprenticeships. What? What? Did he get amnesia on the ride over? He's not. He's not consistent. Nope. Okay. Uh, So he moved and got a job at a brewery in Naperville, Illinois. And after three years, he hopped a train to Denver, Colorado. Which is a really weird airport. You don't need to tell me, Jack. Dick Cheney lives there. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> Shut the door, the Cheney will get out. <laughs> we got Cheney loose in Terminal B. Cheney is loose in B. <laughs> <laughs> He's in the Sabaro. He's in the back of the Sabaro. He's right in the back of the Sabaro. <laughs> He's in the meatballs. He's in the meatballs. <laughs> oh, God, that's Lynn Cheney. <laughs> Put it down. Permission permission to shoot. (laughs) He'd been saving his money for years, and he purchased stock in a local bottling company. And at the end of the year, Adolf bought out the owner and took control. He was 25 years old. Okay, all right. So, a rise. But he he, he dreamt of making beer again. That's the big dream. Mm -hmm. 
I've had that dream. Yeah. <laughs> he believed the most important ingredient in beer was pure fresh water. Sure. Rocky Mountain fresh. <laughs> That's right. Here at Coors, our founder, Adolf. That's how the commercial should be. We were founded by a guy named Adolf, so you know we're straight shooters. Here at Coors. Uh, so he found an abandoned tannery along Clear Creek in Golden, Colorado. <clears throat> it all takes place here, so get ready. This is... Yeah. Get them out it's now. Really... There's going to be a lot of stuff. Yeah. This is... You might tire. <laughs> this is a great story to do with beer lines long, though, too. Like, people yeah. are like... Uh, uh, uh. Uh, he convinced a fellow German, Jacob Schuler, to help finance a brewing company. Jacob said he would provide the money if Adolf did all the work. He's been him, here before. Yeah, exactly. For him, he's like, you got a deal, partners? Absolutely. <laughs> this makes exact total sense. Sucker. <laughs> I just fleeced him. So Adolf sold his bottling company and bought the tannery, the surrounding land, plus brewing equipment for $20,000. The company was named Schuler & Coors Golden Brewery. Okay. As soon as the brewery was operational, the economy collapsed. Perfect. Now does he believe in unions? <laughs> <laughs> Businesses failed all over America, but the brewery still turned a profit. Of course, Yeah. That's one thing that's probably pretty consistent yeah, in the dark they, times. They, they said at the time beer was uh, recession-proof. Right. So their beer was very good. Adolf decided to make... Well, that's changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course. We're dog shit now. Uh, Adolf, at some point, decided to make all his own products from malt to bottles... He built a malt house, a steam mill, a bottling plant, a cement factory, Jesus. an ice house. So his operation was totally self-sufficient. And he now had hundreds of employees. Yeah, he can do everything he wants and make cement. That's right. <laughs> In 1879, Adolf married a German immigrant, Louisa Weber. Okay. A year later, they had a daughter, Louise. Wait, is this going to be the, like, the heir to the grill fortune? The what? Weber Grill? Is it going to be like, this, oh. is the, this is the perfect barbecue couple? Uh, you know what we should do is cook up somebody's bratwurst. Well, now you know the story. Yes. <laughs> I do know him. Uh, so Adolf then bought out Jacob and named it the Adolf Coors Company. His younger brother, William, came and he uh, started working there. William even married Adolf's sister-in-law. Hmm. Hmm. Back then, there was an old saying, keep the fucking in the fam. Mm. Some states still do that here. We were just in Utah. Yeah. <laughs> By 1890, he was selling 17,000 barrels a year and had cranked out five more kids. Wow. Augusta, Bertha, Grover, Herman, and Adolph Jr. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Just perfect, on brand. Yes. This one's just Adolf Jr. He's got some bright ideas, don't you, buddy? I like trains. Uh, easy now. Easy. 
Maybe we should move to Grover for a while. Hey! Uh, two, other, uh, two others died as babies. Sure. Right. Standard. Right. Gotta have that. Yeah. Although Adolf hated unions, he was okay with his employees joining the United Brewery Workmen. He always gave in to their demands. Uh, the pay at his company was higher than, uh, much higher than other industry jobs. And workers got a five-minute break every hour, quote, during which beer boys ran around filling the workers' mugs with free lager. See, now, okay. All that's good. I've had this theory for a while that, like, around, like, three or four, you should be able to start drinking at your job. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, I'm, so far, I don't want to get caught up in the gusto of the story, but I do feel like I like a lot of what I hear. Yeah. I like a drunk workforce. And think, what, what's also great is five minutes is the right amount of time to drink a beer and enjoy it. Yeah. And that's how people drink Coors now, too. Yeah. That's the only way to avoid the taste. Yeah, right. Open the throat. Like a snake eating a rat. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Let the enzymes do the work. That's right. When Elf became a U.S. citizen in uh, 1889, he was already a millionaire. Well, of course we'd have him. You are perfect. We love you. We love immigrants here. Get over here, Adolf. Uh, but soon the prohibition movement began gaining momentum, which infuriated Adolf. He thought beer was being falsely grouped with hard liquor. Mm-hmm. In Germany, it was common to drink beer at breakfast, and mothers served it to young children. Yeah. And Adolf argued that beer was a temperance drink. M- meaning that it was... Like, how, that's how you avoided alcohol. You drank beer. <laughs> no, no, I don't drink. Can I have some beers? Okay. So he helped organize a statewide anti-prohibition group. Members were called wet activists. Sure. Continue. What's that? Continue. Thinking a lot of things right now. I got nothing. I'm a wet activist. Keep going. Hmm? I'm not doing it. (laughs) Uh, But Prohibition was winning, and Adolf knew. Two years before the ban was passed, he began diversifying his company to prepare. He converted his brewery into a malted milk factory. Oh, that must have been hard to do. Mm. Yeah. All right, guys, milk break. We don't like (laughs) the breaks as much now. Come on, chuck them up, drink them. Come on. Slam a whole one. Drink all your milks. (laughs) See, we're going to be fine. I got a good feeling about milk. (laughs) Yay. Uh, his most successful business was a porcelain and ceramic factory. Okay. So as children reached adulthood, Louise founded the Central City Opera and was a chef at a local luxury restaurant. Jesus, okay. Uh, but all was not well. In 1914, her first husband killed himself. Oh, wait, and her, her first husband killed yeah. him? Oh, okay, right, okay. Yeah. In 1922, her, huck and, her second husband killed himself. At some point, you got to be like, is it me? Am I? Yeah. Is there a third? Uh, nope, that was it. Okay. I mean, at that point, I assume she didn't remarry. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, honestly, if you go out with someone and you're like, so you were married before, tell me about that. They're like, well, they both killed themselves. You're like, that's great, okay. I should get going. I, yeah. uh, I actually said on my site, I said, no, no cursed yeah, people. Yeah. I don't want to date cursed people. So. Eat your steak. <laughs> I'm having a great time. <laughs> oh, no. It's first date. Uh, his daughter, Augusta, married and uh, then divorced a... Uh, Denver hotel owner Bertha lived in New York She was a record-breaking safari huntress in Africa Sure What is that even I mean, that's just like playing buck hunter safari I guess I mean, it's just You're just fucking killing everything Ah, nice Awesome Yeah Yeah. That's awesome Uh, Despite his daughter's successes Adolf did not think women were fit for business Sure (laughs) Okay His sons would continue his legacy Mm Mm-hmm uh, Adolf Jr., Grover, and Herman all graduated from Cornell University and worked for Adolf. Okay. Adolf Jr. took after his father the most. Quote, he inherited his father's stiff-backed, tight-lipped devotion to craft, but was also educated in the science of chemical engineering. Unnaturally tall and painfully thin, he spoke little, like his father, had few interests outside the brewery. Jeez. So he's just got a mini-me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a guy who just only cares about the brewery. Yeah, right. Adolf worked at the ceramics factory, uh, combining the modern science he'd learned at Cornell with his inherited obsession with quality. Adolf Jr. worked up such uh, good chemical porcelain that within a year, Coors was the sole supplier of ceramic products in the U.S. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. On January 1st, one day before Prohibition was in effect, Adolf dumped 561 barrels of beer into uh, the creek. Into the creek? Yeah, he just poured it out. Well, you know where you go. No, it's already downstream. I will still... Look, Coors is watered down already. I would go down to the end of that, (laughs) open my mouth. If it's a day before it stops? Yeah. Yeah, you suck that river dry. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so he's now 70 years old. He's worth $2 million. He's how old? 70? 70, yeah. Jesus. We uh, went through his life real fast. Yeah. He's not as fun. I feel like I just started to get to know him. Well, he's not as fun as the other ones. Uh, but without his true passion of, of uh, the brewery, he felt empty. And because Adolf had spent so much time at work, he barely had a relationship with his family. His children and grandchildren were basically strangers. Cool. Who are you? Grandpa. What the fuck? Grandpa. Don't let this tiny person in. Grandpa. Get the hell away from me, you little freak. Okay. <laughs> Merry I Christmas. I live alone. Merry Christmas, Dad. What? I'm your son. Remember me? I'm Grover. You can't play a game on me. I would never name a child Grover. No, you did, and it sucked. Lies! I name all my children Adolf. Adolf 1, Adolf 2, Adolf 3, Adolf Hitler. Dad, stop talking. Uh, one of his biographies, biographers wrote, quote, at formal Sunday night family dinners, barely a word was spoken. That's fun. 
When two of his children died in infancy, he buried them in unmarked graves. What? Why? What's the... what? He had no hobbies? No son of mine dies. (laughs) I want immortal children. Uh, he had no hobbies. He didn't enjoy sports. He did, wait, he had no hobbies, but he didn't enjoy he sports? He did not enjoy sports. Oh, okay, right, that tracks then. And until he reached his current level of wealth, he pumped most of what he earned back into the brewery. He was just a cold, deeply unpleasant, deeply unhappy guy, and he passed that down to his very, very unhappy family. Cold and deeply unpleasant, once again... Reminds me of Coors. Coors. <laughs> it's marginally beer. Coors. Deeply unpleasant. Adolf asked his workers to take a pay cut to keep the business open through prohibition. And they went on strike. Okay, so that's a no. Yep. Adolf... Because the rich guy never wants to take the hit. No, it never. Oh, no, for sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Adolf Jr. wanted to fire the strikers, and Adolf reluctantly agreed with his son, and Coors was put on the labor union blacklist. Okay. Adolf then resigned shortly after in 1923 and handed the company over to Adolf Jr. He spent the next six years pacing the halls of his factory and never had another glass of beer again. In June 1929, it's okay. In June 1929, at 83, Adolf jumped from a six-story suite at the Cavalier Hotel in Virginia Beach to his death. He died from that. (laughs) I mean, I guess 83-year-old men don't go, "Whoa, what is this, The Matrix?" (laughs) Jeez, that's quite a statement. Yeah, yeah. In his will, he requested that his $1,876.51 hotel bill be paid. (laughs) No tip! Did he leave the family anything? Or we just have a hotel tab? Just take care of the bill. I miss him so much. Classic dad. Oh, at the bottom it says, I had no family. I don't know who these people are. So Adolf Jr. was married to Alice May, and they had four children. Adolf III. Oh, no. Stop, man. (laughs) Okay. I mean, they didn't know, but still. Yeah. William, called Bill, Joseph, and May Louise. Adolf Jr. had the same cold, distant personality. Why did you give me this name, Dad? Because my dad gave it to me. The curse is yours. I'm so skinny and tall and hate everyone. You're an Adolf boy. You're one of us. And when you're old enough, you'll find a lady and you'll impregnate her with a little grunty shit too. And so it'll go on. Forever. Coors. Quote, Adolf Jr. had little interest in his children beyond a grim insistence that they perform. So, I mean, so he's like, "Ah, I think at 83 I'm going to jump off a building like Pop. He kept notes on his children's misdemeanors and on Sundays... Oh, that's a really cool vibe for a dad. (laughs) Really cool. 
Sorry, son, I'm gonna have to write you a ticket too. Dad, nope. You're, none of you are making Dad's list this year, unfortunately. Uh, so, sorry. Oh God, where am I? Do you want to have a sip of your right. mic? He, he, uh, <laughs> he kept notes on his children's misdemeanors and on Sundays meted out earned spankings. Oh my God. So all week you would be accruing demerits until Sunday when dad had beat the shit out of you for him? Uh, let's see how many uh, tickets you got there. Whoa. I your ass a... is going to be beat. Uh... <laughs> hmm? it's, a, it's a bold choice to yell out in a theater of a thousand. Maybe they the, qu- the quiet that happens afterwards, yeah, you're like, oh, like... That, that turned out not to be funny. Yeah. Maybe they needed to be beaten. <laughs> that came from the rich people. Yeah. Uh, the dinner at the dinner table he presided over was as silent as the one at which he'd grown up. Perfect. Good to recreate that vibe. Adolf III suffered from an incapacitating stutter, oh. and Joseph inherited his grandfather's silence. Jesus Christ. So, but Bill I don't was, know which one of you I'd rather listen to. But Bill was a talker. Bill was a talker. A talker. Okay. Uh, but always weighed whether his words were worth saying, and usually they weren't. Okay. <gasps> So, 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 so. <sighs> Not a nice meal. Ada the third was a uh, very talented athlete and became a semi-pro ball player while studying chemical engineering at Cornell. Uh, Joseph also got a graduate degree in chemical engineering from Cornell. Okay, they all went to Cornell. Right. Sam, noticing a pattern that every, they all go to Cornell. Yeah, every kid had to go to Cornell. Right. And also Exeter uh, boarding school in New Hampshire for high school. Oh, cool. So definitely felt loved. Yeah. Uh, Bill was a different kid. He had a biking accident when he was six years old, and after that, Adolf Jr. said Bill could never play sports again. He spent his childhood laying on the sofa watching his brothers run around outside. <laughs> this is... <laughs> Dave, I know this family's really rich, but I, that's not what I, the vibe is. The vibe, I mean, they're just... It's, no, it teaches a kid a really good lesson that if you have one accident, it's fucking over. Yeah. You want to go out and play with your friends? No. Why? Because I had an accident when I was six. Dude, you're, you're 12. Yeah. I don't want to fall again. I'll just watch. It's like watching my brothers in an aquarium. I just don't want to fall off a bike again. I should lay down. Uh, Bill ended up taking up the piano and became so good that he could easily have become a concert pianist. But again, I just can't go outside. (laughs) There's a bunch of stuff out there that'll kill me. (laughs) But he also liked medicine, and he ended up choosing medicine. Okay. And when he told his father... Uh Uh-oh. His father said, quote, you're a Coors, and Coors men are brewers. It's amazing to, to be like, every parent, if you're like, I'm going to be a doctor, it's like, yes, you're a doc- no, you will be involved with beer, you little shit. <laughs> we make beer, not help 
people. No son of mine will be helpful. Uh, prohibition had been over for less than a year, and I will hear no talk of you pursuing another career. You will study chemical engineering as I did. The Adolf Kors Company will be your life, not medicine and not the piano. I love you, son. Thanks, Dad. I love you so much. Fuck your dreams! <laughs> Great. Bill reluctantly completed a master's degree in chemical engineering, but he showed his dad he went to Princeton. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's right. Fuck you, old man. Yeah. <laughs> Up yours. And after graduating, Bill decided not to join Coors. Ooh, and Bill, he accepted, bad boy. Yeah. He accepted a job with DuPont. Oh, another fabulous organization. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Mwah. But then he went and told his father, and with one look on his father's face, no. Bill quit DuPont. No. <laughs> I mean, you probably worked on your speech for like a month. Yeah. And no matter what he says, I'm going to uh, practice with me. I'll, I'll, what I'll do is I'll go up to him and I'll just be like, you know what, Dad? I, I, unfortunately, I love you. I respect you. I respect the business. I respect the family. And I still want to be a part of it. Unfortunately, I've accepted a job with DuPont. <laughs> look, you can look at me all you want, Dad. But I'm telling you, I, uh, I'm, I'm moving on. I've got, a, I've got a future in the... Blinking would really help if you could just blink a little bit with the some blinking. Your eyes need to. I'm. I have. I worked so. You don't even. I'm so sorry, Dad. I don't know what I did. I am so. Here, take some of these tears and put them in your eyes, because you are. You're like clockwork oranging right now, Pop, and you gotta. I'm sorry, <laughs> Dad. I'll suck your dick. Come on. That's my boy. Uh, That's a Coors man right there. Hey, Mr. DuPont. Yeah, I can't take the job. Daddy's mad. You're 30. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, now, Adolf Jr. was a workaholic. He also constantly feared being kidnapped. What a great environment you've raised your children in. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. Well, because the Denver police had once discovered a plot to kidnap him by two ex-agents from the Federal Bureau of Prohibition <laughs> who were angry that they had lost their jobs. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Uh, so, also, Coors is still on the labor blacklist. And, obviously, guys who worked like to drink beer, and Adolf needed that demographic. Okay. So he accepted a 36-hour work week. He added a month's wages as a Christmas bonus. And he invited the Brewery Workers Union to organize on Coors Grounds. Is, isn't it insane to hear, like, that that actually, like, there was a time when a company was that cool to people? No, I really. mean, that's still not, like, I just, today, like, we've just gotten so much worse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're far worse. That's great. Yep. All right, keep going, pal. 
Coors was taken off the unfair list in 1933. Okay. When Bill finished graduate school, Coors was preparing for a massive expansion. They were going to start shipping to eight more states in the South and Midwest. Now, Adolf III was deemed unfit to inherit the company because his father thought his stutter could never let him lead. And also, he was allergic to beer. Dude, this... This, you are weak! <laughs> this it's poor, like poison to me! This poor kid. Could you imagine being I, a No, I can't. Beer? Like, you, what you need there is someone to nurture you, but instead you're like, your mouth is for losers and your skin can't take hops! Uh, his other son, Joe, did not like beer. That's one you keep a secret. Yeah. No, then you say you've got the, the same thing Adolf has. I'm allergic too, Dad. Yeah. Uh, Bill was Adolf's only option. Okay. So Bill was hired as a chemical engineer for Coors in 1939. He was very good at it. His dad asked him for a stronger beer, and he made the industry's first malt liquor. Okay. Got a lot of us through college. His father asked for a lighter brew, and Bill made the first beer that was as advertised for its health attributes. Yeah. It was a diet beer with fewer calories and less alcohol. They called it Coors Light. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now known as the silver shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What tastes worse than Coors? Yeah. How about Coors Light? Have you tried that? I want this beer to be the kind of beer that people use for drinking games because it's cheap and easy to consume. (laughs) Bill's greatest contribution was the recyclable two-piece aluminum can. Before recycling was a thing, Bill suggested Coors offer a penny for each can a customer returned. And his invention is now an industry standard for uh, sodas and beers across the country. Wow, it's crazy. Yeah. Here we go. A diamond in the rough. World War II started, and none of the Corps' boys served. All right. Adolf III was also nearsighted. I mean, look, look, you don't need to tell us that Adolf III is not going to war. <laughs> I'm allergic to bullets. Well, everybody, get him out of here. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. No, oh, I walked into the wall. Jesus Christ, this kid. Joe went to work for the National Dairy Association, which excused him from the draft. Sure, Seems to yeah, work you, at home. yeah, of course, yeah. you got to need the milkers. Can't have them serving. And then Bill got a call from the Radiation Laboratory in Berkeley, California. <laughs> I'm excited to hear where this goes. The, quote, war effort required a particular type of ceramic insulator that Coors Porcelain might be able to produce. Uh-huh. So he was like, all right, we can do that. Sure, we'll make beer and bombs. In 1940, Adolf III married Mary Grant. She was his sweetheart. She was also everything Adolf Jr. and his wife did not want in a daughter-in-law. Right. Quote, she was a city girl. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh, boy. <laughs> Say no more. Who had a quick mind and a willingness to exercise it in conversation. Uh, sounds, uh, <laughs> sounds a little pushy to me. Uh, Son, you brought a talking woman into our home? What about tongueless Debbie? She always had a thing for you. <laughs> Remember her? Mary smoked cigarettes and enjoyed a cocktail. <laughs> Mary, like, yeah, this is. 
they had four kids, and during the war, Adolf III managed the brewery. Joe married Philadelphia socialite Edith Holly Hansen, and they had five sons, Joe Jr., Jeffrey, Peter, William, Grover, and John. Grover's Grover. still kicking. Grover's hanging in there. Yeah, should not yeah. be. Well, the Muppets haven't come out yet. Still. Yeah, as far as names go, this family bought stock early and wrongly. <laughs> now, uh, Holly, before she married Joe, wanted to be a professional woman. She wanted to either be a fashion designer or maybe a photojournalist. But once she married Joe, that was all over. Mm. Men ruled the Corps' world. Quote, I always wanted to try to do everything Joe wanted me to do because I thought that was what a wife should do, whatever her husband wanted. I never did anything without asking his permission. Ugh. It's, uh... Coors. <laughs> Bill married Geraldine Jackson. They had two children, Geraldine and William Jr. Wow, these two are really creative. <laughs> What about boy and girl? Okay, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Bill said he had no idea why he was exempt from the draft. Local Mm. women whose sons went to fight, quote, wrote him off as a rich kid shirker. Bill says after the war he learned that these ceramic insulators he developed were being refined for the atomic bomb. Oh, my God. (laughs) He didn't know before. No. Yeah, he never You don't ask. Sure, I'll make you a bunch of them. What's it for? I don't want to know. All right, we'll get a bunch to you. Thanks so much. After the war was over, the Coors family did very well. Quote, the company was big enough to be prosperous and small enough to be intimate. Taps Mm. were available throughout the brewery, and even the lowliest janitors were free to sip beer all day long. Even the lowly janitor, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let the shit people have some, too. That is pretty good, though. I mean, that is, again, I mean, I don't want to sound like someone who likes to drink beer too much, but... If you, if you have a job where they're like, you can get housed here, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, I can do this. <laughs> How was work? I don't remember. Anyway, I'm going to bed. <laughs> I'm fucking gassed. Uh, Bill's 14-month-old son, William Jr., choked to death on a chicken bone. What is he eating a chicken bone for? 14 months? Hey, give him some no. KFC. Yeah. The kid loves the shit. Hey, give him the thigh. He loves the thigh. Oh, shit. Hey, it's like a dog at Thanksgiving. Hey, we feed him under the table. He loves it. There you go. Give him his scraps. As kid, he loves scraps. We call him scraps. He loves bones. He's like a pit bull. He loves a bone. Give him a pig's ear. He loves that shit. What kind of German baby cannot eat a bone? Yes. You are weak. What are we having for dinner, Dad? Bones. bones. They got money, and there's just bones on the floor. How have we had 17 babies die? Bones again, huh? Yeah. Bones. Uh, So after William Jr.'s death, Geraldine withdrew and started drinking a lot and became a severe alcoholic. She should get Uh, a job at Coors. (laughs) Yes. I'm kidding. She couldn't join the workforce of that family. She's a woman. (laughs) She wouldn't understand. Her little head had popped the second she walked in. That's right. (sighs) 
Um, uh, Bill and Geraldine would have two more daughters, Margaret and May. It's good that she's drunk now and having some more children. Yeah. That's good. Uh, but then she had a stillborn, and her alcoholism worsened. Jesus. After that, Bill uh, let work take over his life, and he sank into a depression. By 1950, Bill couldn't get out of bed. Doctors examined Just, Bill and said nothing was wrong. What's wrong with him, doctor? He's lazy as shit. He is... <laughs> <laughs> he went to the Mayo Clinic thinking he had some sort of rare illness, but the doctors said nothing was wrong. Bill decided he, quote, had to find his own cure, and he refused to take his depression medication. No, 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 no. He decided the cause of his illness was stress and not taking care of his health. And he became devoted to a better diet, more exercise, and a nutritional guru named Adele Davis. Quote, he began living on tiger's milkshakes, wheat germ, and yogurt. He would run, swim, and do calisthenics all of which took even more time and attention away from his wife and daughters. Sorry, run me through what he was doing again? Eating or doing? He was eating tiger's milkshakes? That's the one. He was eating (laughs) tiger's milkshakes? That's right. Is that a brand, or are we milking tigers for him? I know there's tiger's milk bars, so I'm assuming it was related to that. Okay. I think it was actual tiger's milk. Well, can I pretend that it is? Yes. Okay, thank you. So they had uh, about eight tigers that he would milk in the morning. Whoa. And they would make milkshakes all day. Well, and they probably had a bunch of those recipes because Coors used to have to make milk during Prohibition. That's right. Wow, dude, this is a fucking great story. Yeah. <laughs> so, no. he replaced, so he just, I mean, he became more active, healthier. Yeah. Does that help? Well... There's a thing where if uh, you're, you're depressed, you can just start exercising all the time. So you're, it's a way of keeping your mind off of... Right. Yeah. So that's what he was doing. Okay. So but a therapy would probably be a better idea. Sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Joe Kors was getting more and more political. Uh-oh. He helped fund the John Birch Society. Yeah. Screw that. <laughs> Dave, what is that? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I got to do a dollop on them. I forgot. Uh, It's an ultra-conservative group founded in 1958 to fight communism and big government in the U.S. (laughs) It's still around, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Bertrism would go on to be the champion of conspiracy theories that eventually would take hold in the conservative movement. By the 1950s, Coors was brewing a quarter million barrels a year and beating smaller competitors across the country. Adolf III was leading the business more than uh, his father ever imagined he could. Okay. Even with a stutter. Yeah, imagine. He was now chairman. But on February 9th, 1960, he didn't show up to work. Oh, dear. And they went to look for him, and he wasn't at his ranch, and no one knew where he was. And then his car was found blocking a bridge, oh. and the engine and radio were on. No, this is not good. UFO. Dave, I'm not bullshitting. This is one of your best. (laughs) We're milking tigers. People are going on spaceships. Dude, could have been like a planet of alien tigers who were pissed about the milking. Yes, 100%. How close were they to the Denver airport for all this shit, by the by? 400 miles. (laughs) 
Whoa, right. Uh, the bunkers it, go that far, dude. It doesn't matter where you are. You're 400 miles away from the Denver airport. Yeah. <laughs> still possible to hit a bunker. Yeah. Cheney was still down there even then. I got proof. I know. I'll show you the slides. I got it. Uh, in the water below the bridge were Adolph's glasses and his baseball cap. There oh, was no. a fresh blood stain smeared across the bridge railing. Oh, fuck. Well, okay. All seems fine. No, it does not seem very fine. <laughs> a senior cop who arrived immediately suspected kidnapping. Adolph Jr.'s lifelong fear. What? Really? I, I, I'm, I'm not a detective. But from what I'm hearing... The first thing that pops into my head is not kidnapping. Hmm? Yeah. Blood smeared on the bridge? Oh, yeah. The kidnapper probably made him bungee jump and then took him away. <laughs> we see this all the time. Yeah, he left his glasses and his hat, too. <laughs> Classic. It's either that or he evaporated. It turns out the kidnapper made him go bungee jumping. What the fuck? This story! This is a... <laughs> so the next morning, Adolph III's wife, Mary, received a letter. Inside was a sheet of paper that said, Miss Kors, your husband has been kidnapped. What? He was really kidnapped. His car is by Turkey Creek. Call the police or FBI, he dies. Cooperate, he lives. Ransom, 200000 in 10s and 300000 in 20s. There will be no negotiating. I'm going to push back on the 10s. <laughs> I will negotiate that point. And then we want 400000 in 1s, 600000 in 2s. Ask for quarters. And we, we, want a, we want a million dollars in quarters. We're not idiots. Tell them we're not idiots. I'm way ahead of you. Stop <laughs> dictating. I got this. To repeat, we are not idiots. That's right. The letter went on to explain what to do with the money and where to go for further instructions. And quote, Adolf's life is in your hands. We have no desire to commit murder. All we want is that money. Adolf Jr., because this was his giant fear, was immediately like, I'll pay the ransom. Mm -hmm. uh, so the kidnappers told him to run an ad in the paper saying they were... You know, good to go. Okay. Which they did. A day passed. Wait, they ran an ad in the... That's okay. Well, that's how you communicated back then, right? It's weird. If you're yeah. just a regular paper reader, they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> what store is this? Uh, a day passed. No call. Okay. Another day. No call. Okay. Weeks passed. Still no call. Mm. Now, the hunt for Adolf III was one of the largest FBI efforts in 20th century history. Whoa. Witnesses said they saw a man with a yellow car. Why would you kidnap someone with a yellow car? <laughs> like, why not drive around in a banana? Like, what the fuck? I like your pitch. Yeah. Uh, and that car was traced to a Walter Osborne last address in Denver. But he had moved right after Adolf III had disappeared. Burned out, uh, that car was found burned out, but inside there were fingerprints that matched Osborne's. Okay. But then the FBI checked them, and they found out his name wasn't Osborne. He was a convicted murderer and escaped inmate, no, 
inmate known, named Joseph Corbett Jr. Corbett had a genius level IQ, was a Fulbright scholar and a UC Berkeley student when he picked up an Air Force sergeant hitch- hitchhiking and killed him. Oh, Jesus. He escaped after being convicted. But they couldn't find him or Adolf III. And nine months went by and no one knew what was happening. And then on September 11th, 1960, a hiker found a pair of discarded pants in the Rocky Mountains. This must belong to someone from the Coors family. (laughs) How the hell are they tapping the Rockies? In the pockets was a penknife with the initials A.C. the third. I wish we could find a clue. And a watch with the same engraving. Mm, nothing. And Adolf's blue windbreaker, his green checkered shirt, sh- shoes, undershirt, and a skull. What? Oh, shit. The last part, Dave. All that stuff you can get J.R. Crew. I mean, I don't want to get away from the skull, but I did not know windbreakers were invented that early. I thought, yeah, yeah. I know. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. The f- I, I thought they was were pretty good. sure it was like 83 when someone was like, yeah. huh? Because it's got a little chute in the back. Wind is broken now. You ain't flying away. I thought we stopped wearing those after that guy died in the Rockies. Uh, other bones were scattered across the area, and dental records confirmed it was Adolf III. When, told, when Mary uh, found out, she told Joe, who was on the East Coast, but he did not fly home. When she told Bill, he said, quote, it's, obviously, it's obvious the guy was murdered. How it was accomplished is immaterial to me. Oh, that's cool. So everybody's turning out really normal and nice. and It's weird, because they say childhood doesn't affect you when you're an adult. When she told Adolph Jr., who was in Nantucket, he said, quote, that's news to me. What? what can anybody say more, or are they like in a cartoon strip? <laughs> uh, Corbett was found living under a new alias in Vancouver. He was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life. Not a single member of the Coors family came to the trial. Wow, that's crazy. We already knew what happened. Yeah, okay, sure. A lot of people, okay. Instead of passing the role of chairman to Bill when Adolf III died, Adolf Jr. came out of retirement. Quote, he ordered Adolf's chair to be left empty at the board table. That's a good vibe. And a manila envelope be placed before it. Perfect, yep. Inside the envelope was... There's really no need to put anything inside the envelope. ...was a eulogy the old man had written for his murdered son... And he insisted on reading it aloud like a benediction before every meeting. He always closed the same way. The company will never be the same. Now, Bob, you wanted to talk about hops? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got some... uh... Holy shit, we've got some interesting... um... Spit it out! Yeah, I'm trying. Um, Why do you always have such slow starts in here? Yeah. Well, we're very excited about the fall hops. We think we've got some great flavor profiles. I mean, I really miss your son. Um, Did you care for a chicken bone? uh, 
That's a skull. Yes, that's my son's skull. All right. He died in the woods. No, no, no. We just did that. We just did it. We just did it. We just went through all that. I'm going to read a 94-page poem I wrote about it. No, 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 no. Adolf Schmadoff. Oh, fuck. All right, well, look, I'm stepping it up a little now. I've got a mop with a bucket on the head, and we're just going to pretend this is my boy from now on. Everybody cool? Everyone feel good? If you want to open a beer for him and pour it on his head, all right? And don't be afraid to sit next to him. And this is his wife, a bunny. (laughs) Everything's fine here, gang. Don't worry about a thing. Now, in 1960, Joe Jr., went to North Carolina State University instead of Cornell. What? And then he married Gail Fambro when he was 19. These were two massive violations of the Coors Way that had been set by Adolph Jr. You did not marry until after college, and you went to Cornell. (laughs) So Joe Jr. was cut off from the family. Jesus Christ. Probably for the best. Get away. Run. His wife had to quit college and get a job so uh, they could pay for his education. And then when he graduated, he was not offered a job at Coors, and he was cast out of the family with no money. Okay. He spent the next 10 years going from job to job. He worked as a stockbroker, a computer programmer for Frontier Airlines. Oh, brutal. (laughs) I mean... Brutal. (laughs) Jesus, they don't even have those now. (laughs) Computers? No, no, no. Just throw your bags over here. We'll figure it out. Frontier. Frontier. Thank God for spirit. <laughs> we got a coarse light bucket. Uh, uh, you stay hidden, my friend. <laughs> we'll turn you around when you go to Cornell. <laughs> and you marry a quiet little lady pale. So Adolph Jr. never spoke to Joe Jr. again. Wow. His grandfather completely cut him out. Uh, he was not invited home for the holidays. The only person he spoke to was, with his, was his mother, Holly. And Holly, at this point, was very religious. Oh, boy. She, Joe Jr., said, quote, finally helped me find the Lord. Helped him find the Lord? Oh. Where was he? Where did he find the Lord? Yeah, where the hell uh, was he all the you're time? You're actually about to find out. Oh, my God. <laughs> it happened on a golf course in San Diego. Hello! <laughs> Do you mind if we play through? Are you Christ? Yes, it's me and my son. We're just having a Father's Sunday. You see, I love my son, and no matter what he did, I would support him fully. Anything he wanted to do. Anyway, we're in a bit of a rush, and you guys seem crazy, so... Quote, I was on the 16th hole. And suddenly I heard this voice saying to me, and, and I knew it was God. Of course. And Use he, the putter. 
No, that's your caddy. That's your caddy. Oh, God. I thought... I'd use a wedge. Watch no, out for the sand trap. Use the wedge, Joe. Trust me. Who was that? I'm sick. Oh, okay, so... Use the wedge, you bitch. While I disagree with Satan fundamentally, you should use a wedge here. I think anything else is... <laughs> All right, we don't need to be so goddamn evil about it. I mean, so me damn evil about it. Uh, All right. I'm going to live under the Denver airport. Uh. And God said, quote, go home. Go home. What if he was just saying go whole? <laughs> or if he just really liked E.T. Yeah. So Joe Jr. went home, but his father and Bill were ice cold. Just they- like a sweet, sweet Coors Light. <laughs> Coors Light, the only thing icier than your family ties is a sweet, sweet Coors Light. <laughs> our beer's colder than our hearts. Coors Light. Founded upon a hill of Adolphs, Coors Light. By the way, if God tells you to go home and you go home and everyone's a dick, you're like, God, God's an idiot. What the fuck was that? You should never listen to God. That's... So they sent, they just sent him away, telling him the family would consider finding him a job. Mm. A while later, they sent for him, and they said he had to prove he was made of the right stuff. Oh, my God. What? He, he was given different jobs at different uh, cores, factories and stuff around the country, okay. and then finally land, landed at a Coors Porcelain subsidiary in Oregon, where he would remain for seven years. Okay. Joe Sr. was now a huge conservative. Uh-oh. He became a personal friend of Ronald Reagan. Oh, well, that guy's awesome. And was a member of Reagan's kitchen cabinet. His kitchen cabinet? Yeah, remember the kitchen cabinet? Yeah, yeah, the guys who had all the You know, I remember us talking about that? We did a podcast about yeah, Reagan. Yeah, with the, yeah, the, Ronald Reagan, the actor. Who was the kitchen cabinet? Those are the people who were this, the staff, the chefs. I put together some of the best cooks. When we do, after the 500th episode, when we do the, the final, the test. Sorry. Sorry, and sorry. It's not, it's not Scantron. It's, sorry, sorry, there's, sorry. There's an oral. There's, no, no, no. Wait. Uh, written. Shut, shut the fuck up for a minute. Wait. And then there's, there's a multiple choice, but... I did not. I'm not. I did not know I'd be tested on this shit. This yeah, is. Yeah. Yeah. There's a test. This fundamentally changes everything. I don't. I don't. I honestly don't think it would. I don't think you have good study habits. I would listen back to the show. There's nowhere to get them. That's true. Uh, so the kitchen cabinet were the guys who got behind Reagan and pushed him and funded him, and they were like his. His rich... Sort of writers. like his Satan on the golf course. Yes. Uh, so, uh, Joe Sr. became a University of Colorado regent in the 60s, and he did everything he could to drive the students of a democratic society off campus. Mm-hmm. He also opposed groups like the United Mexican American Students and the Black Students Union. Oh, it's weird how so little has actually changed. <laughs> Bill called him, quote, a little bit right of Attila the Hunt. (laughs) 
By 1960, the Corps electricians at the company went on strike, but they weren't able to get support from the other Corps unions, and the union electricians were then all fired and replaced with scabs. Oh, boy. That's very Reagan-y. What? Very Reagan-y. Similar incidents occurred with Corps' other unions, and by 1968, when a construction workers' strike ended with Corps breaking it up, they broke up 14 unions. By 1970, the workers at Corps were mostly non-union. Hmm. Adolf Jr. died on June 28, 1970 at 86. And at 44 years old, Bill took over control of Adolf Corps' company. Bill and his wife uh, divorced. And within a year, he married his secretary. Hmm. Sure. Uh, they had a son, Bill's oldest daughter, Missy, uh, who was now 40, jumped to her death from a New York City high-rise. Oh, my God. That, I mean, just, honest... The, just like her grandpa. That is... They're, like... A little love in the family would probably help the general... Yeah, yeah a little hugging, a little... Yeah, uh, like little a little... Hi, how are uh, you? Yeah, positive reinforcement, yeah. a little forgiveness. Yeah. Less pressure. Uh, Bill uh, also was still suffering from depression... And he created the Coors Wellness Center near the brewery for employees and retirees of the Coors Company. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Right? That's nice. Are you, are you about to rip the rub, rug out from under me? Uh, or is that... What are you talking about? Oh, right. He no. Made it, he made it because, quote, workouts were better than health insurance. Uh, and that health insurance was a way of paying people for being sick. Oh, my God. I mean, uh, at what point are we just going to flip the goddamn table over? Yeah, it but just he has been going on forever. He also could be running as a Democrat for president. Yes. <laughs> Joe Kors continued to spread his conservative beliefs throughout America. In 1973, he was a founding member of and gave money to set up the right-wing Heritage Foundation. Oh, fuck. Jesus Christ. He was rejected by the Senate twice for being too conservative when nominated for a PBS, the PBS board. <laughs> Imagine the Senate rejecting someone too conservative. <laughs> Uh, no, it's a little bad shit. No. <laughs> you could dig up the body and get him back in the Senate now. <laughs> yeah, we, we think he's pretty good. Uh, by now, it was well known that jo uh, Joe had spent a lot of money uh, to help stop the Equal Rights Amendment. Of the era, Joe would later say, quote, everyone felt entitled. The poor felt entitled to handouts, Women and Negroes felt entitled to rights they were never intended to possess. You know what? You... Uh, cool. Everybody should... <laughs> it's the... You can't... I, oh, fuck it. I'm done. Go ahead. <laughs> Children felt entitled, entitled to expensive college educations that uh, derided their parents' values... The sacred purpose of the United States was being subverted. I mean, this is from a family who insists that every kid goes to Cornell. They're like, yeah. people just want too much. A contract dispute broke Sir, out. Sir, shut the fuck up! That's like the fifth time. You know, it feels like we, had, we gave a talk at the beginning. <laughs> A contract dispute broke out in 1976 with UBW Local 366. Workers wanted a 10% wage increase and better retirement benefits. The nerve. Negotiations went on for a year. 
And then in April of 1977, 94% of UBW workers voted to strike. And then Coors immediately announced they would be firing and replacing the workers. Wow. That's so crazy. The AFL-CIO declared a nationwide boycott of Coors. Within five days of beginning the strike, 39% of the union members crossed the picket lines and returned to work. Wow. In 1978, Coors management called an election to decertify UBW Local 366, oh my God, the company. Just brutal. Now, the reason they could do this was because more, more than a year had passed since the strike began, so national labor relations regulations didn't allow striking members to vote if it was past a year. Only people working could vote, well, so that only seems... the scabs voted. Right, and which way did they vote? It's weird. The scabs voted to decertify the local UBW. Huh, weird. Yeah. Since the 1960s, this was the 20th Corps union that had been decertified. All had been done the same way. All had been done the same way. All 20 unions had been busted by votes called while members were on strike and scabs cast ballots. <sighs> of course. <laughs> Didn't they have that? They, their commercials had the Love Train campaign, right? I don't remember. I do. Oh, yeah. 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 And they, would, and they actually did end up employing women when they were like, and twins, right? That was yeah. Coors, yeah. So they do have a history of being great at times. The union wasn't only upset about wages, but also new applicant tests. Bill wanted to be assured of a loyal workforce. Oh, boy. And he said he was doing this because of Adolf's kidnapping. In 1977, new job applicants had, had to jump through new hurdles. The first was the runner test. Wait, literally jump through hurdles? No. Oh. It was a computerized questionnaire that had yes and no questions. The test was looking for inconsistencies that indicated someone was lying or had a guilty conscience. What? You're, I mean, to work at a beer company? <laughs> what do you feel so guilty about, Todd? Uh -huh. I just, I don't know. I'm sorry. I might have pressed the wrong key. I don't know. Open up, Todd. It's fine. We're just a couple of guys hanging out. Todd, put your hand on the table. <laughs> Take this knife, Todd. Uh, they were asked questions like if they had communist leanings, how often they changed their underwear. Um, every day. Never. Oh, shit. <laughs> Never have. Always will. I wear diapers. I'm naked. Nothing. I have no penis. I'm like a Barbie doll. Ah! Get right, I'm a communist! All right, all right. You're perfect for Coors. Others, quote, what is your sexual preference? Have you ever done anything with your wife that could be considered immoral? <laughs> well, uh, so my immoral or your immoral? Uh, Our immoral. Because my... Well, just spit it out. We were raised on anal. My family... Like, it was just like, we would talk about the dinner table, and my, and my dad always said, you really can't get to know a woman unless you go in the back. <laughs> and You're... also, it's, uh, it's the hardest way to make a baby. And but... if you do make a baby that way, then it was really meant to be. Welcome aboard, Mr. Vice President. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. 
Uh, if you'll just read the eulogy in front of you, we'll get the paperwork <laughs> out. And we can... <laughs> Other questions? Did you have relations with your wife last night? Uh, Hold on, I'm going to ask that again. I'm going to undo my pants. <laughs> Did you have relations with Answer your wife? the question! No. I yeah. fingered her, though. This, this is to work at Coors, right? Also, are you a homosexual? Imagine getting asked that to work at a fucking brewery? Because we have a back room. If an applicant actually made it past the runner test, they were sent to a room with no windows to take a polygraph. I, I mean, th this is fucking bananas. <laughs> what? They weren't just looking for liars. Bill and Joseph Kors were weeding out thieves, radicals, and homosexuals. The first question asked if applicants. The first question asked was if applicants had ever stolen. The second asked if the applicant ever engaged in a revolutionary activity. The third asked about the applicant's sex lives. Quote: Word among the employees was, was that Coors would let homosexuals work at the plant, but not in the brewery. What? Don't let them near the beer. But really, what is the theory there? The beer gets gay stuff on it. Oh, right, right, right. Right, right. I forgot about, right. I forgot how that was a thing. Was Lenny in there? How do you feel? Just tastes a little off. Keep drinking. There's something I want to tell you. Hold on. There you go. There you go. Yeah. No one listening knows what happened. <laughs> the, union, the union also said course discriminated against women and minorities. Women only worked clerical jobs. The very few Latinos, I think it was like under 2%, that worked at Coors were all placed in unskilled positions. And Coors conducted searches of workers for drugs, which violated their rights. Yeah. The whole thing violates your rights. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, these issues brought other groups into the boycott. Now it wasn't just union men, but blacks, Latinos, women, and gays were all boycotting Coors. Uh, and what was their issue? <laughs> Walk us through it. I think we'd all love to know. As far as the unions were concerned, Jeff Coors explained the family position to the L.A. Times. Uh -huh. Quote, what are the worst? <laughs> what else should we do? Just give them the keys to the place? Yes. Is that what you do? Yes. It's like inviting the Russians to take over America. Yeah. They're coming, Dave. Yeah. No, I know. I've been... And by the way, your options aren't give them the keys to your business or not hire them. There's a middle ground. Well, you're going to let them run things and be like, we want No, no, no. Money. No, just hire them. Just hire them. Just hire people. Hire them. Let them work for you. You Jesus keep the Christ. keys. This is like being on the USSR right now. I don't know what's happening. Oh, here we go. Joe Sr. Uh, remained close to Reagan and at one point was considered to be his main counselor, but he didn't get the job and blamed Nancy Reagan, who he hated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well... I mean, it's hard to pin down this guy then. Yeah. Joe Jr. was finally allowed to come back to Golden, and he was given the position of VP in the ceramics company. Okay. In 1987, he was promoted to president, 
he would never be allowed on the Coors board of directors. But the ceramics company, which makes everything from porcelain medical supplies to bulletproof vests, is one of Coors' most profitable subsidiaries. Joe Jr. was also now probably the most religious of all the Coors. Congrats. That's quite a race. Joe's core, Joe Coors family had become hardcore religious conservatives. By the 80s, all of his Hard sons... Hardcores religious. Hard what? Hardcores. It's yeah. just easier. Yeah, okay. Hardcores. Thank you. By the 80s, all of his sons were born-again Christians and believed homosexuals were an abomination in the eyes of God. Wow. Coors. <laughs> Joe Jr. believed that AIDS was God's special retribution to gays. Holy fuck. I mean, how is this still a company? <laughs> how are they still a sponsor of shit? I know how. America. America. If it didn't happen yesterday, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Joe Jr. also listed biblical prophecy as a hobby. Along with I mean, that, that you should just be like expelled from every business or societal norm based on that. Yeah, for fun. I mean, if I'm really letting my hair down, I do some Bible versing. <laughs> that, that's on his company resume that he had that. Oh, and, good. And golf. Yeah. He liked golf, too. Right, and golf. In the 1980s, uh, Joe Jr. believed Armageddon would happen around the year 2000. He's sort of right. And yet, they used the Bible to defend drinking. Even Jesus drank wine, didn't he? Joe told the LA Times... Joe also said the first thing Noah did once the ark hit land was to get really drunk. Yeah, well, Noah was a fucking lush. We all know that. Each of the Coors boys knew Bill's beer is good for you speech by heart. Bill considered beer to be more of a food. (laughs) Eat your beer. (laughs) In 1988, Holly still didn't think someone could become an alcoholic by drinking beer. Wow. The LA Times, quote, Holly Coors alone among the clan seems genuinely surprised to learn that the devil can reside equally in either kind of bottle. Uh, what a- you can become an alcoholic on beer? She asked, frowning. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What I mean, talk about insulation. Yeah, Get out in the fucking world. They're so rich. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. In 1984, Bill was speaking at a seminar of the Minority Business Development Center in Denver. Uh, Quote, why, I'm sorry. Why is he there? As a goof? Uh, well, he's, a big, uh, he's a big businessman. Uh-huh. Certainly one of the biggest in Colorado. Sure. But does he... Okay. Quote, for those of you with ancestors who were dragged here in chains against their will. Is this the opener? Where is this in the speech? (laughs) It's probably in the middle somewhere. Well, okay. Still not okay, but. I would urge those of you who feel that way to go back to where your ancestors came from. Holy fuck. Holy fuck. And you'll find out that probably the greatest favor that anybody... Uh, Dave, I need you to stop. (laughs) He actually said the shit. What? And you will find out that probably the greatest favor that anybody ever did... I can't hear this. You 
was drag your ancestors over here in chains, and I mean it. He said, and I mean it? Yeah. What, look, dickhole, you don't need to punctuate it with an and I mean it. That is crazy. He went on to say that Africa's economic problems stem from a, quote, lack of intellectual capacity. Oh, my God. This speech was to a meeting of black businessmen. How did it go over? Go ahead and clap, gentlemen. He then clarified. Let me be clear. None of us can tolerate the concept of slavery, but that act in itself got you here. So they did you a favor. Racist backpedaling is never good. No, let me be clear. And even if blacks didn't originally get here on their own volition, they've still cashed in on the same boundless opportunity. I mean, I just don't see Jesse Jackson or or any of these other blacks making um, any mass exodus to Africa, you know? Right? Am I right? Can I get a... Is there not... Can I get a hell yeah? I've got the power. Not the song. Don't do the song yet. Let me wrap it up. Wow. Wow. And the company still exists. Wow. Bill held the press conference the next day. And said yes, it was, anyone have any questions? And said it was an unfortunate choice of words. That you mean your entire speech was a series of choice of unfortunate words? I agree. In retrospect, the entire thing I spent a week writing was an unfortunate choice of words. And it lacks sensitivity. Oh, wow. What a, wow. He's learned. And then he said his statement was taken out of context by the Rocky Mountain News, and he was suing them for libel. Oh, my God. I mean, this is presidential behavior. The NAACP announced a boycott of Coors. On what grounds? (laughs) At least 500 liquor stores in Southern California joined the boycott. It had an effect. A year later, Bill made a deal with Operation Push and the NAACP to invest $325 million into black communities over five years. <clears throat> Bill also said that, quote, this is a great country, and regardless of how we got here, we all ought to be glad we're here. There's no reason for a Hispanic to be ashamed that his father or his grandfather was a wetback. Okay, dokey. So... <sighs> I mean, he's completely racist... But it gets worse when he contextualizes. He's just digging, and he's like, and a little deeper down here, you'll see that I'm really in quite a hole. And if you'll give me a minute to keep talking, I, my God, is that China? I can see it from here. He was also wow. known for calling his own grandfather, Adolf Sr., a wetback. Look, you I'm grand- sorry, I'm, I'm confused. Immigrant or wetback? I, uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. So a similar agreement for investment was reached with La Raza. Uh, it was later revealed that the $325 million was not actually amount going into the communities because the deal was that the money was tied to the amount of sales of Coors beer in the communities. So you can't... So evil. You can't even, like, mea culpa properly... That's right, $325 million. If you guys enter the contest, who can drink the most Coors? Coors, it's the race to non-racism. Coors beer. (laughs) My grandpa's name was literally Adolf. 
<laughs> Coors. Now, around this time, Joe Coors thought it would be a great time to privately donate $65,000 to buy a light cargo plane for the Contras in Nicaragua. What? Dave, this was a beer company, right? <laughs> the donation went through the National Security Council advisor, Oliver North. Oh, dearie me. This oh, was no. part of uh, the Iran-Contra scandal, and all the planes were being used to bring cocaine into the U.S. Well, someone's into it. In 1987, Joe divorced Holly after 48 years of marriage. He had been having what became a public affair for years. So his wife was just totally being humiliating. Right. He was just always with this other woman. It's weird because everything else is so good about those guys. Yeah. His very religious sons were not thrilled. Jeff, quote, Joe Sr. is an adulterer and therefore a sinner, along with homosexuals, gluttons, blasphemers, murderers, liars, and a whole bunch of others. The, I mean, these, they, like, if they would just say a quarter of their sentences. <laughs> Holly didn't seem to know what to do with herself. She was asked why she wasn't looking for a new partner, and she said, quote, <laughs> this is from LA Times, Quote, she stared in shock and said, why, I couldn't. I'm still a married woman. Joe, at this point, was living in Napa with his new girlfriend. Oh, that is so sad. Joe and Bill were interviewed by the LA Times in 1988, and Bill was asked about his slavery comments, and he basically doubled down on them. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Good. He's had some time to reflect, and he's like, in retrospect, I didn't go far enough. And then Joe brought up Native Americans. Oh, Joe... What, these what the, uh. quote. And let me jump in here, brother. <laughs> Perhaps the white man had done Native Americans a real disservice by humoring them in their desire to retain their primitive lifestyle on U.S. reservations. Now, see, you take a quarter of that. <laughs> you, if you just have, perhaps the white man had done Native Americans. There it is. <laughs> and cut. And now they're upset that the government did give, didn't give them more money. But they were given a choice. Uh, they could have come into any community in America like the Mexican did and become part of it. Oh, my God. What year is this? What, this is not long ago. 1988. 1980 fucking eight. Oh, my God. Budweiser's like, what do we have to yeah, do? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, Budweiser, we're not the fucking worst. <laughs> uh, so that year, 1988, Bill and Joe turned the business over to the next generation. They uh, may have stepped down because they were now billionaires. Jeff became company president, and his brother Pete was president of the brewery. And they, uh, as soon as they took over, they made a deal with the AFL-CIO to end the boycott. In 1993, the Adolf Kors Foundation created the Castle Rock Foundation uh -oh. with an endowment of $36 million. Castle Rock was an extremely conservative fund that gave money to tons of very right-wing groups. The foundation was uh, to, quote, encourage personal responsibility and leadership, and uphold traditional American values. Uh-huh. Wink, wink. You know what that means, whites. Wink, wink. Quite a bit of money went to anti-gay groups. 
One of the groups Castle Rock funded was the Free Congress Think Tank, which was created originally as a way to fight the influence of unions, but very soon was using anti-gay organizing to build political power for the Christian right. In 1996, Jeff Kors was Free Congress's group's chairman when it filed the complaint in Hawaiian court over gay marriage. It called homosexual sex, quote, an infamous crime against nature. Oh, my God. At what point? Although if you do it right, it can be. Uh, I mean, if you're really doing gay sex right, it can be all kinds of shit. Sure, sure. Do you work at Coors? I do. Yeah. All sex should be some sort of crime against nature. When yeah. You get down to it. Certainly felt like there's been some criminality. I mean, <laughs> haven't you ever been like, what the fuck are we doing? Don't turn the lights on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's Centaurum everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh. In 1997, one of Bill's biographers was interviewing him. <laughs> and Baum asked if he could get a tour of the Coors Brewery. And Bill said, quote, you wouldn't understand it. <laughs> I wouldn't understand a brewery? Yeah. Yeah, you're just a dumb writer, man. You hired me. What's that? You pay me to be a biographer. Duh. How do I make beer? That's you. I just think it would really help the book if we could actually just take a tour of the place. You're a fucking idiot when it comes to beer. You're a fucking layman idiot piece of shit. Maybe if you took me around the factory, I wouldn't be... You wouldn't understand it. What, what is going on in there that I'm not going to understand, asshole? We're making beer, dumbass. Yeah, ass. it sounds pretty straightforward, dickhole, so why don't you give me a tour? Oh, there we go. Making beer is straightforward. Point made. You're not fucking going in there. <laughs> Let's go make Santorum. In 2004, Peter Kors ran for the Colorado Senate. He opposed abortion without exception, defined marriage as a union between a man and a woman, and supported the Iraq War, which at that point was an obvious failure and disaster. The Kors company at this point tried to distance itself from things the family said and Pete's how, campaign. How? How are you? I mean... Well, they said, they said the Kors company is different than the Kors Foundation, Course Foundation is a family. The Course Company is just a company, even though it, it, the Course family owned eighty-five percent of the company. The translation is: Please keep giving us all of your money to fund our bullshit right-wing propaganda. That's right. Right. And they were like, "We have." But that's eight, not a catchy slogan. They would they would, they would put out a thing and they would say like, "We have 8,700 8, Course employees. This is just one." You're like, "Well, this it's is one owner." Yeah, it's the in charge. The president who makes people take polygraphs. Uh, so he lost the election. And, yep. Now he's just a billionaire. Uh, so for like five years after that, they kind of laid low. But in 2009, the Kors family, uh -oh. which was operating through the Adolf Kors Foundation, went hard again in on the culture wars and fought against Obama's birth control benefit, Obamacare's birth control benefit. Right. They gave tons of money to anti-abortion groups. They gave money to the Independent Women's Forum, which the New York Times described as, quote, a right-wing public policy group that provides pseudo-feminist support for extreme positions that are, in fact, dangerous to women. 
After the Sandy Hook shooting, the IWF sent a member to testify against gun control laws because, quote, guns make women safer. The IWF opposed the Violence Against Women Act. What? I mean, truly, there needs to be, like, a name czar. Like, someone who's just like, no, you can't call your shit that. Citizens United? No, that's not what it fucking is. Like, you just literally need someone, because it's so misleading yeah. when you yeah. just get little doses of these I, fucking places. It's not that... The yeah, Center pe- for a Better Tomorrow. Ah, we're Nazis. No, people would say that it's a free speech thing, but it's just a, a basic thing about how you want your government to be run. Like, yeah, I mean, it should it's... should have to go through a, a, a group that goes... That's the opposite of what you mean. Yeah. Take another name. Yeah, I mean, and in this same thing, you wouldn't be able to call your company whatever. You'd have to be call it. You'd have to call it like piss in a glass instead of Coors beer. Right. Yeah. Uh, the Adolf Coors Foundation also funds crisis pregnancy centers. Why, why not drop the Adolf now? Why are you still hanging on to that part of this? It's an important wink moment for us. Eh, eh. Still got you, brother. Uh, they fund crisis uh, crisis. Pregnancy centers, uh, many in Colorado, that try to talk women out of getting yeah. abortions by using deceptive ads to lure, lure women in who are looking to get abortions. Right. The foundation also funds... By saying stuff like, well, you can wait a little while yeah. and decide later if you want to get an abortion, at which time it becomes a late-term abortion and is illegal some places. So it's yeah. fucking bullshit. The foundation also funds groups opposed to bilingual education. It has funded many voter ID laws, which stop black and Latino voters from voting. How can a company that has said fuck you in so many different languages be opposed to that? As minority groups became a larger part of the population and uh, companies actually began to recognize they could make money off of them, Coors started coming around. In 2011, Coors made an ad with two men dancing suggestively. One held his Coors beer uh, can aloft with one hand, while his dancing partner's thigh was held with the other. A box in the corner stated Coors was named by the Human Rights Campaign as one of the best places to work for the LGBT equality. What, what part of that is total bullshit? Well, they actually would hire gay people at this point and trans people, and we're like, yeah, it's all fine. But they are doing it all because they want to use it as an ad model to make more money to fund their bullshit right-wing stuff. Yeah. Right. Well, you can can hire five gay guys and and do far more damage by putting $100 million into, you know, why they shouldn't get married. Yep. The ad said, quote, out is refreshing. Out is refreshing? Out is refreshing. Many groups pointed out... They were both funding anti-minority groups while trying to make money off of minorities. Yeah, and used to give polygraphs to find out if people were gay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Coors. By the way, <laughs> the Human Rights Campaign is another organization that's really fucking full of shit. See, that's what I mean. Like, you hear that name, you're they're, like, oh, they're well, good. They're, they do. They said they... they it is for supporting gay rights, but they're pro-war. They're right. pro, like they're super right-wing in a lot of other ways. Right. Joe Jr. ran for Congress in 1912 against Democrat Ed Perlmutter. Joe's campaign slogan, which he repeated in ads, was, quote, I'm not a beer. I'm not a beer. <laughs> <laughs> How with all that money? <laughs> I mean, that's, I think that's just when you've surrounded yourself with too many yes-men. <laughs> Here's what I was thinking. Maybe just to be clear, I just let everyone know, I am not a beer. That's really, 
Good. That's real good. That's great. We should go with that. That's catchy. People won't forget that. He lost the election. Uh, well, what? But I thought he was a beer. <laughs> I thought I was voting for a beer. In June 1916, uh, June, June 1916, yeah. June, Coors finally had a time machine. In June 2016, Pete Coors and former Denver Broncos head coach Mike Shanahan hosted a Republican <laughs> presidential candidate dinner for Donald Trump. Mike Shanahan, Mike Shanahan doesn't even, he can't even drink beer because he's lipless. That's right. The cost of attendance was 10000 per couple, but couples who paid 50000 could get a picture and VIP meeting with Donald Trump. Man. And the thing is that he has a son who also coaches in the NFL. Yeah. It's a shame. <sighs> the, yeah, it's a shame because he doesn't know how to make good, plays, good calls in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So, uh, and makes good calls off I the field, I mean, you have too. the best running game. Run the fucking ball! Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Look. It was over. Fuck off. Uh, Dave, I know it's hard for you because you guys lost the Super Bowl, and that's a big embarrassment, but it's still cool that you coach as a super right-wing dude. That's awesome. I'm saying congrats. So there was a little bit of blowback on that from the Trump uh, funding of the, you know, his giving him money from Pete, but then again, the company came out with their same thing. Of it's, different from the, it's different from the business. We're not the same. But, and they, It's just the same cycle repeating over and over again for literally fucking 30 years. <sighs> Bill died on October thirteenth, uh, two thousand eight. He was one hundred two years old. Most Holy articles. shit! Why do these dickholes live so long? I, don't know. I hope he was in pain at the end. Most articles wrote wrote about how great of a businessman he was. A lot of Coors family members have died. Too many to list here, but it's clearly not enough. Well, good. Good, good, good. Good, good, good. And the, the thing really, is that Coors is now still really popular, so that's cool. Well, yeah, it's one of the... I mean, all, uh, you know, they bought Molson. They buy other... Uh, yeah. I think they're the third biggest now. Well, uh, cool. You know, it's also like part of the story reading through it was like, you know, the monopolies. They would just buy up other companies. Yeah. So... That's it's when almost, it becomes impossible because that's that yes. same thing happens with like if you, you try to boycott one like if you try to boycott like Dannon or something like Dannon actually owns yeah all shit. the other bottled water you know not that you should be drinking bottled water but they still own all these other companies so if you try to put your money away from this company still you find to. out when you do a little research you're like oh shit I'm still giving them my money well it's like four companies that own all the yeah. fucking food yeah and it's about to be two yeah thank yeah. God thank fucking God it's forced too many well I will make a bold proclamation that I will never drink a fucking Coors product again. Well, Which is really me saying, I'm done playing beer pong. When I was living in San Francisco, there's a bar called Specs, which is an old union bar. And if, and if someone walked in and, and ordered a Coors, the bartender would be like, get the fuck out of here. Good. And literally kick them out of the bar. And that's what should be happening everywhere. Yeah. Nobody should be fucking selling cores. No one. And if they do sell cores, you should literally be like, you are a fucking asshole. Yeah. You gay-hating motherfucker. And the guy's like, what's happening? 
I'm just a bartender trying to make a buck, and then you stab him in the eye. All right, all right, Dave, 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 Dave. Come on, let's take a stand. That's where you take your stand. Why don't you do TGI Friday? Why don't you do do what the Coors family should do and stop after five words? That's where you're strong. You're strong on the first five. That's fair. Then you go off the rails. That's fair. When you get in the minutia and the specifics of what you feel, that's when people get scared. I don't feel. All right, well, let's not go there yet. Anyway, you're still. Ooh, Lagunitas. <laughs> that's flavor. Mmm. Mm-mm. That's the other thing. Yeah, it's not it's good. It's shit It's beer. shit. It's fucking shit. Yeah, but you know what? If, like, what, what people like on a day of, like, sports is they like to be able to drink a shitload of beer. So they do enjoy a watery shit beer because you can consume so much of it. But here's the point. There's a lot of watery shit beers that aren't fucking Nazis. So just drink those watery shit ones. Yeah. You all right? You want a Coors? You feel good? Yeah. Want a drink? Hmm? A little piss beer? Want me to carbonate my urine and you can drink it? And see what happens? No. Nope. Okay. Don't drink Coors, everybody. Thank you so much for coming out, Denver. We appreciate it. Truly. Thank you. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, This is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it. But either way, fun half hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there.